It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 99, Cubs Prospect Party with Northside Bound. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, also on Facebook, or email us, Fly the W670 at gmail.com. Crawley, happy Christmas. Hope you're enjoying the season. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a white Christmas. I mean, I never, you know, whenever you have a 55-degree Christmas in Chicago, you'll take it. But, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we can – it's been a fun year, I think. And, um, you know, the holidays, you know, we're very thankful for everything. But uh, hopefully now we got some movement happening and hopefully free agents will start coming off the board here. Yeah, curious to know what uh, Jed and Carter are up to at the moment. But we know, Crowley, the big news since we were last uh, podcasting, we know who's not coming to the Cubs. Yep, Yoshi Nobu Yamamoto. My heart broke. I, I, I had a feeling as this was leaning more away towards L.A. or New York. Uh, but he was the guy I wanted more than anybody, and he got paid, Dustin. 12 years, $325 million contract. Plus, the Dodgers have to pay the $50 million posting fee for him. Unlike the Shohei Otani deal, there is no deferrals. Now, there are opt-outs after year six and year eight. The deal's more backloaded, so more of the higher payment comes towards the end. So if he opts out, he leaves the higher salaries. So we'll see what happened. But, Dustin, this blew my mind. According to Odyssey insider Bob Nightingale, the Dodgers have spent more than $1.1 billion dollars with a B with the signings of Yamamoto, Otani, and Tyler Glass now. The other 29 MLB teams have spent less than $900 million combined. Yeah, that's a wild number. That is an absolutely wild number that combined it's less than what the Dodgers have done. I mean, like I said, whether this is good for the game or not remains to be seen. Um, you, you know that some of the highest Paid, paid teams last year bombed out. Um, when you talk about obviously teams like uh, the Padres and um, the Mets and stuff like that, it doesn't guarantee anything. But boy, this team just looks—you know—they got the pitching, they got hitting, they got defense. I just don't know where the weaknesses are, but that's why you play the games, right? That's why you play the games. Let's hope that uh, Jed was right that sometimes winning the off season can be a curse. Yeah, there was more. one more signing of note. The Padres got legendary Japanese left-handed closer Yuki Matsui. He agreed to a five-year, $28 million contract. It includes an opt-out for the third and fourth year, uh, but the Cubs weren't going to spend that for a closer, I don't think, unless it would maybe – I still don't think they're even going to do Josh Hader, but 
If we take a look at the tiered board that we had up here, uh, you can see now Yamamoto is now scratched out. So it's, you know, no Otani, no Yamamoto. Snell is left on the board. I heard uh, some rumblings. I don't know why the LA Angels would target him, but oh well. Um, trade target, Cease Alonzo, maybe. Um, especially with Yamamoto not going to New York, that really hurts them, you know. They were really looking to get that guy, and so we'll see if they want to keep Pete or not. Uh, tier 2 free agents, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, Cody Bellinger still on the board. Uh, tier 2 trade markets, Corbin Burns and Alex Bregman still out there. Tyler Glass now is off. Tier 3 free agents, Reese Hoskins, Jorge Soler, Shahoda Imanaga, and then the Tier 3 trade targets, uh, we got Shane Bieber and Hassam Kim and Isaac Paredes. But here's the thing, Dustin. All roads lead to Scott Boris. As our friend John Becker from Fangraphs, friend of the pod, uh, he points out that the top four remaining free agents are all Scott Boris clients, as well as six of the top 12 free agents left. So Scott Boris sitting pretty in the cat seat like he normally does. These are what... Fangraphs and John Becker have rated as the top 12 left. Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman, all on our tiered list, all are Scott Boris clients. And then you have Josh Hader, Marcus Stroman, Shohari Minaga, Teoscar Hernandez, then Reese Hoskins is a Boris client. A Boris guy, right. Yep. Lucas Giolito, Jorge okay. Soler, and then J.D. Martinez wraps out the top 12. He's also a Boris client. So, I mean, the only D.H., outfielder that I see on this list. You have Teoscar Hernandez and Jorge Soler are available. And then for, you know, starters, I mean, I think we've established the Cubs don't want to go back with Marcus Stroman and Lucas Giolito still out there. I don't know what you want to pay for him, but uh, this is where things kind of start getting nervous because if you are a team like the Yankees or the Mets, maybe even the Phillies, I mean, and obviously Cubs, Toronto, these are all teams that are now the pool has gotten smaller. And all of these are Boris clients. So all he's going to do is just go back and forth until he gets the best deal uh, for his client. And that's why Scott Boris is the best at what he does. Right. You're going to have to work with him. I mean, the, the Cubs have to get what, what at least one of these guys, right? I mean, you got to get one of these guys off this list. Now, half of them are Boris guys, half of them are. I, I don't see Marcus Stroman and the Cubs getting back together. That, that, that wouldn't make much sense at this point um, unless nobody else wanted Stroman. So I don't I don't see that happening. Um, what do you think? If two if you get two of those names, Crowley, would you be happy at this point? You have to get two of these names. It has to be a pitcher and it has to be a hitter. I would be I would say almost close to three of these. I mean, if you okay. really want to be playing it safe, um, I just you know you got a third baseman on here in Chapman. Uh, I don't know if they want to sign him to a long term deal. Obviously, we've talked about Cody Bellinger plenty. He can play center. He can play first. Blake Snell. I mean. I've been surprised at how he hasn't, people haven't been going after him like crazy. I mean, I know Yamamoto's the young guy and stuff like that, but I mean, how rare is it that the reigning Cy Young Award winner doesn't seem like he's drawing like a ton of interest? Have you kind of noticed that? Yep. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, very you know, I hear more talk about Imanaga than I do about uh, Snell. Yep. And then, well, uh, Snell's got, Snell's got age going against him, right? He's got yeah. Boris, depending on how you look at it, Boris going against him. So there's a couple of check marks against him. And, and again, I'm just kind of looking, you know, Jordan Montgomery is another guy. So the Cubs, though, we talked about this last time, is they don't have, you know, they have to replace Stroman's numbers pitching-wise. They have to replace uh, Bellinger's numbers hitting-wise. And even with those two guys, that wasn't enough to win, to get to the playoffs. It wasn't enough to get to the division. 
um, to win the division. So they have to do more. And, and so again, Boris holds all the cards right now. So we'll kind of see who's desperate. And this is where these overpays um, really, really, it gets frustrating when you got to do that, but that's why you want to do it. And that's why Scott Boris, you know, you're like, well, why isn't Jed doing anything? Cause he doesn't have to, or, or because Scott Boris doesn't have to, he can sit back and let the market come to him. And so now that you have all these guys off the boards here, now with him controlling, again, six of the top 12 free agents left, he could just sit there and, and teams get desperate and then they overpay. And that's what Boris is counting on. And that's what Jed doesn't really have the stomach for, I don't think. We'll see what happens. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 98. And uh, it's Episode 99, rather. And uh, this is Cub Prospect Party with Northside Bound. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. And in this segment, Crowley hosted a live crossover with Greg Hughes, Rich Beasterfield, Todd Johnson from Northside Bound to go over their top 50 Cub prospect list. Take a listen. Welcome, 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 Cub fans. We are live, a live edition of the Fly the W crossover special edition with my guys from North Side Bound. I have with us right now Todd Johnson, Greg Hughes, and Rich Beasterville. Look at look at him coming in right on cue, like perfect. <laughs> guys, how are we doing this offseason? Uh, it has been, uh, needless to say, a little bit underwhelming for some Cub fans right now. Yeah, a little underwhelming for Cubs fans. I, I guess it's a good time to be a prospect follower, right? Yeah, it seems to be a season of uh, hurry up and wait. <laughs> we're learning patience but guys you know part of the reason i wanted to have you on obviously you guys are the prospect experts you just had your lists out on north side bound and as we kind of sit here and, and we're kind of waiting for things to happen trying to poke jed hoyer with a stick um we we've kind of noticed you know there, there's different ways to make the team better number one you can buy players through free agency we saw shohei otani's record-breaking deal you can trade players, which involves trading prospects, or you can have people get to, you know, put people in that are within your system and find spots for them on the major league roster. So this is a time where you kind of get a little bit, you know, especially I'm sure for you three guys is guys that have followed all these players careers closely. You know, it's almost like, Oh my gosh, are we going to trade somebody? If a Juan Soto comes out, are you willing to give up three or four players to get a guy like that. And that gets tough. Uh, Greg, do me a little bit a favor and tell me, you know, when it comes to prospects, is, is there a problem sometimes of team of fans like ourselves here, especially us four here, but getting a little bit too attached to prospects? Yeah. I think that, that you're always going to have one extreme or the other, I feel like with, with everything. And I feel like the two extremes are that every prospect is, can be traded and it should be traded and needs to be traded right now. Um, and then the other side of the spectrum is trying to hold on and hug every single prospect that the Cubs have, and nobody should be traded. You shouldn't trade a guy like Alexander Canario for um, someone like Juan Soto, you know? Um, so I, I think you have both ends of the spectrum. I think that we try our very, very best to be the middle ground. It's tough. I mean, because we're the thing is, like, with what we're doing, Todd, Rich, and I are doing, it's like we're watching a lot of these, these prospects. And so like we become attached to like enjoying watching them play the game and their stories and all that good stuff. And so it becomes um, a little, a little bit extra for us to, to root for these players as they come up and, and eventually reach the major leagues. 
Now, Rich, I have my ticket set for Arizona. I am excited. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to be there St. Patrick's Day, the week of St. Oh, Patrick's boy. Day. And uh, yeah, Stu and I are going to be there at the <laughs> same time. So that that's going to be fun. But I, I want your opinion on this new initiative MLB has, Spring Breakout 24. I know you're going to be there. I know you're going to be yeah. shooting the pictures. How excited are you to see this? It, it should be fun. I think um, I think one of the concerns I heard when it was first announced is, is this a way that they might be phasing out the AFL, the Arizona Fall League? So I'm hoping that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, it should be fun seeing, seeing a team of all – you know, Cubs top prospects. I mean, for, for you or me, I know we hang out on the backfields a lot during spring training. For people who don't do that, it's going to be kind of different. But I think for us, it's not going to be all that much different um, because most of these guys, you know, you, you've watched their minor league game on those backfields or or seen them during the workout. So, um, but it's, it's a good chance for exposure, I think, to some of the fans who don't ever make it back there, you know, to be able to get to see like, you know, Pico Armstrong, Cade Horton, um, you know, guys like that, James Triantos, names they've maybe heard but haven't watched if they're not uh, a subscriber to the MILB uh, channels. Now, Todd, you know, you guys, have, you know, you do this where you at Northside Bound, you come up with a list. Tell our listeners, when you guys all sat down and, and decide to come up with these lists, do you guys have any parameters or how do you approach your list when you get to making it? Um, I think – most of them have uh, kind of organically gone to tiers lately where we have like groups of players. That's kind of where we're at in um, analyzing prospects. And it, it kind of seems weird, but you have a group that sets itself apart at the top. And then another group that could be anywhere from uh, four to seven is where I did mine. And, and Greg had maybe one to four. Um, but yeah, we've kind of set them into tiers where we think, they have more this tier has more value than this tier or this tier has more potential than this tier or this tier could bring us um something in a trade but they really haven't put it together yet so it varies from from each of us so i mean we've never really sat down and and said it's just kind of organically evolved into um little tiers that we've done all right, so let's let, let's start getting into the weeds here. Let, let's start digging in. If anyone has any questions, they can ask them in the comments section. But I'm, I'm going to go, Greg, I'm going to go with you first because one of your picks that I saw kind of jump up high <clears throat> at number five, I think you had him higher than most, was Jefferson Rojas. 18-year-old shortstop. I got to see him at Myrtle Beach. What is it that, that Cub fans should really get excited about when it comes to Jefferson? Yeah, I think that it was fun that, that Jefferson Rojas kind of jumped onto the map last year, almost out of nowhere. I think that, that very few of us were expecting – I actually, I, I don't want to speak for you guys entirely, but like I think none of us were expecting that type of breakout from Jefferson yeah. Rojas in, in 2023. Um, he He's a guy who performed super well offensively in Myrtle Beach, um, which is a tough place to hit um, down there in that ballpark, down there in that league. And so uh, the fact that he was able to do what he did last year and, and he did it at 18 years old and he did it as a shortstop, um, he was a shortstop in Myrtle Beach over Christian Hernandez, which was kind of going into the season. We expected Christian to kind of run away with that position, run away with uh, with being a stud. So seeing Jefferson Rojas and, and, and part of it, too, with Jefferson is like he just kind of looks the part in addition to putting up numbers and putting up results like. He, he doesn't look like an 18-year-old playing full-season ball. He, he, he looks like a, like a grown man playing the game. 
Um, and that's fun to fun to watch with with Jefferson Rojas. So um, I'm really excited to see him at age 19 play in South Bend next year because uh, I think it's only only but up for Jefferson Rojas. Now, Todd, Greg mentioned third base, and as Cub fans right now, you know it's 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 third base has always been that bugaboo position for the Cubs, right? After mm-hmm. after after Ron Santo, they gave away Bill Madlock, and then we really didn't have anything until Ramos Ramirez. Yeah. Chris Bryant was supposed to be the savior, got a World Series, but. You know, just not the career we expected. But you had an article recently on Northside Bound talking about third base and how that could be a position of strength for the Cubs. Um, Tell us a little bit about B.J. Murray. We saw him in the World Baseball Classic a little bit. We saw him in the Futures game. Where did you have him ranked on your list, and and what do you think uh, B.J. Murray brings to the team? Well, I had um, BJ in my top um, 14. He was at number 14. Um, And I really, I got to see him up close because in the summer I kind of travel with South Bend up to Appleton, Wisconsin and um, Quad Cities and down to Peoria. And I got to spend a lot of time in batting practice watching him and seeing him do his thing every day. He's very patient. Um, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. Um, he has power from both sides of the plate. And he n- knows the strike zone forwards and backwards. I mean, doesn't matter what side of the plate he's at. Um, he can see the ball really well uh, with his right eye dominant when he's batting left and with his left eye uh, dominant when he's batting right. Um, he has played a little bit of first, um, but for the most part last year, he played a whole lot of third. That should, and, and like I said, he definitely, it, like I said, fun to watch. And, and I just, mm-hmm. I like the attitude that he brings to the team. Oh, Rich, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I know that, like I said, you and I run around backfields and having fun in, in the summertime. Mm-hmm. One guy that you've been able to watch evolve. And this is the guy that, you know, really when it comes down to the teardown of the Cubs starting in like 21, when the U Darvish trade happened, you know, we were just kind of like looking, okay, what prospects in return from the Padres. And the one that really kind of is still surviving, still standing is Owen Casey. And this spring in the world baseball classic, I felt like that was like his coming out party when he was with um, team Canada, really, really put himself on the map there. Um, Owen Casey is, uh, do you see him? I mean, obviously we know the hit tools there, mm-hmm. but just like third base has been a problem for the Cubs. First base has been a problem mm-hmm. where you, with Owen Casey, where do you project him? Do you think that the Cubs may start saying, okay, we might have a little bit of need here and maybe mm-hmm. Owen Casey fits that spot. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't shock me to see that, but I know, cause I've actually talked to Owen. He has never played first base. Um, because I know a lot of fans will throw that out. Oh, we need to put him at first base. Um, Owen's a good athlete. I think the thing that maybe has flown under the radar is how much he improved in right field this past year. Oh yeah. Um, I think he he got he got a lot more work, and his routes were getting better. He's got a, he's got a cannon for an arm. Um, so I think you know could he play first base? Sure. I think he's still a darn good right fielder. Um, and as you mentioned, that bat, that bat's going to play. Um, he's one of those guys, he's been fun because he started in, after the after he was acquired from the Padres in the trade, he played that next year um, pretty much all summer. I think he got called up like in maybe mid-August up to Myrtle Beach. But I got to watch him play in the ACL. 
And kind of like you guys were mentioning about BJ Murray, his knowledge of the strike zone is so good. It is so impressive. And I think that's another one that has kind of flown under the radar. Um, so he'll take a lot of balls. He'll take his walks. Um, ACL, the umpires are learning too. But there were a number <laughs> of pitches I saw him got rung up on that he should not have been rung up on. He was getting called out on on balls that were being called strikes. But he's um, he's one of the guys I am really high on. I think he, you know, with, especially like this past year with the uh, oh, what you call it, the ball, the the, the, the baseball the ball. Yeah, um, his strikeout numbers were weren't real good in the first half, but they still weren't as bad as they might have been, I think, because the ball was doing some really weird things. And once they got rid of that, his numbers just really skyrocketed. Now, Greg, you were talking a little bit about the, uh, you know, about his exit velo, about for uh, Owen Casey. And, and you know, for a team like the Chicago Cubs that needs some pop, boy, you know, just wherever you could get it, this is a guy that would be fun to watch at Wrigley. Yeah, the exit velos are, are some of the best in, they would be some of the best in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, not only minor league baseball. So uh, he hits the ball really, really hard. He's gotten better um, every year at pulling the ball in the air, I thought. Um, I thought he's really always been really good about hitting the uh, left center gap, going the opposite way uh, during his time at the lower levels of the of the system. And I think he's gotten even better at pulling the baseball and pulling the baseball in the air. And, I mean, when you're doing that and hitting the ball – consistently in the above 110 miles an hour like that's that that'll play you know so um that exit velo and that that's the 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 best predictor of a guy ultimately having power home run power at the major league level and Owen Casey does it better than anybody in this organization um does it better than than almost anybody in all of professional baseball so that's fun now, Todd, one guy that you have high on your list is a guy that you probably saw. You said you were traveling a lot around with South Bend, mm-hmm. Kevin Alcantara. When I look oh, at yeah. Kevin Alcantara, he, El Jaguar, I mean, when you take a look at a guy, like like when you look at him, you just say ball player. There's no doubt you know that he is some freak athlete. What was it yeah. that you enjoyed watching uh, with Kevin Alcantara this year? Um, well, one, he's he just he has a great personality. Uh, but when Canario came back from his rehab um, out in Arizona from his broken um, ankle and shoulder and was beginning to play full season ball, he just soaked up everything that Canario said for the 10 days or whatever he was there. And he began taking off after that. But I really enjoy watching him play defense. I mean, he played mostly center field last year and he can just go get a baseball. I mean, there is no doubt that with at six foot six, it doesn't take him long. I mean, I saw PCA get to some balls the summer before um, that he had no business getting to and cutting off triples and doubles. And Alcantara has that same kind of talent um, as far as getting to balls deep in um, uh, the outfield and left center and right center. And he... Um, I think really started to tick up in the middle of the year after working with Canario there for, for a while. And we started to see the bat come alive and uh, Rich can attest to how he did out in Arizona in, in the fall league, we saw a lot of power and he finished strong. So I'm really excited with everything that he can do. I mean, the only concern is that he is six foot six and he does have a lot of long levers. Um, but he seems to have a pretty good knowledge 
of the strike zone, and he developed a lot more patience as the year went on. And Greg, you, you, you know, it's funny because when you were talking about, you know, sometimes that, uh, you know, being so long limbed, Alcantara has some trouble with the sliders, with those biting sliders. I always said the best comp to me when I look at um, Alcantara always is Alfonso Soriano. Like he just reminds me in so many ways of just like an athlete, that wiry build, uh, just everything going on. I, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's. It's a question of what whether he can put it all together in the major leagues. Yeah, I've heard like the the absolute peak comp for like I I I don't I dislike player comps typically just because like you're putting unreasonable expectations on a player. But uh, in terms of like the the type of player that he could ultimately be, I think that I've heard uh, Matt Kemp thrown around, and obviously like Matt Kemp was a, was a MVP candidate and was terrific for for many years. Um, and so, like, if if Kevin Alcantara, Alcantara could put together a career like Matt Kemp, then like that's that's the dream, you know. Um, so I don't want to put those expectations, but in terms of like that ability to to play center field, to be a big bodied guy, show off some power, uh, have some speed. Um, Matt Kemp was out there stealing forty bases a se- in a season at, at one point in his career, and and Kevin Alcantara is not doing that. He's he's he can cover ground in the outfield. Um, he's not going to go out there and steal you 40 bases, though. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a profile you can like, absolutely dream on. He's still got some things to work out in terms of like chasing the slider and like Todd mentioned that the fastballs in are always going to be a, a concern, like they were with, with like with Chris Bryant for his his time with the Cubs, right? It's like when you got to do that six foot six um, fastballs in on the hands are tough. Now Alcantara obviously does have very quick hands. There, that's where the power comes from. Um, but it's just a different animal when you're getting 98 in, in on you as opposed to 94 in on you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I think it was both Todd and Rich, both of you guys had Matt Shaw, I believe, at number three. Mm-hmm. And it was unbelievable, Rich, how quick. I mean, you saw when he first showed up to the complex, and then before long, he's, I mean, I know he's a college player, yeah. but, but you know, all the going all the way up to double A and playing in, in the championship – I mean, that's just unreal. Yeah. He, um, I saw him in the complex, but I didn't get to see him play. I happened to be while I was traveling to some of the affiliates. But but I was fortunate then, by the time I got to South Bend, he, he was in South Bend. Him and Josh Rivera were both there. And um, I only got to see him play one night, but I, I did come away impressed. He played short that night, but um, looked good at the arm. The You know, watching him on MILB.com uh, at the plate. Um just didn't seem overmatched and and the attitude i think is the other thing that i was really impressed by with matt he um very humble uh very coachable from what i saw i saw him working a lot with um several of the coaches working on his fielding early on um and you know he i think he even talked about in his opening press conference about wanting to to find that spot where he struggled because that's where he's going to learn so um yeah i'm i'm very excited about what matt shaw can do so, Rich, I'm going to ask you first, and then, guys, you can absolutely mm-hmm. jump in on this. I, I, whenever, you know, I'm whether it's Twitter or Facebook or wherever we may be, you know, every time, you know, someone says we need a third baseman, people are like, well, we got Matt Shaw can play there. Mm-hmm. Does his arm – is he? do you think he will be able to play third base, or does that seem kind of a stretch right now, Rich? What's your opinion on that right now? Um, I, I never got a chance to really see him take grounders over there, so I haven't really seen him – you know, flash the arm. I've seen him a little, I saw him a little bit of shortstop. Um, arm looked good there. Um, I think 
to me, I'm, I'm going to go back to like Nick Madrigal, you know, a year ago, this time when it started kind of leaking out, I think it was at the Cubs convention last year, where it kind of started talking about Nick Madrigal playing third. And there were some people making the, the smart aleck remarks, uh, you know, he's going to have to have a cutoff man on the pitcher's mound because he's not going to be able to make it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're, you're real funny, buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're sitting on your mom's couch in, in the basement. <laughs> um, but you know, Nick played pretty decent third base. Is, is it, you know, it's not a Javi Baez arm, but, you know, I I don't know yet. But if if Nick Madrigal can do it, I got to think Matt Shaw is going to at least get a shot. Um, you know, working with working with the coaches um, wouldn't surprise me to see him out there early this, you know, early this spring. A lot of guys will probably be showing up at the complex in January because that's usually right after the first year. You start seeing some guys start to trickle in and. That's when I started seeing Nick, and he was working at third base every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think my take on the on the Matt Shaw third base situation is like, I don't, he's a good athlete, you know, like like we know like we know he's a good athlete. So um, he's been a shortstop in college. It's like all right, like so so yeah, maybe he can play some third base. I I'm not I'm not saying that. Well, I I don't even think that we see like my my take on when we potentially see Matt Shaw in Chicago is like I would love to see him. In, in September, if we, I think we if we see him in September, then I think that's terrific. I don't know how you guys feel, mm-hmm. but like anything before Great. that would seems ridiculous, <laughs> like in, in the best <laughs> way possible, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in like if we see him before September, it's like holy crap! Like this kid is truly amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But like my, my take on it is like, all right, like if if I don't think he'll play a bad third base. Do I think he'll play a great third play, third base? Absolutely not. Could he potentially get there? Yeah, like maybe. It's it just it's. We don't. We don't. We know he was a shortstop in college. We know he's a good athlete, and you just kind of roll with that. Like, yeah. So then maybe he can play third base. <laughs> now, Todd, you know it's funny because I remember the draft a couple of years back. There was a lot of hitters that people were kind of hoping the Cubs would go after, and instead they went with Cade Horton. And people, oh, what? He was injured. He barely played. And now you got him on the top of your rankings, and yeah. and so do a lot of people have him. At, you know, as one of the Cubs' top prospects. What made you put Cade Horton at number one on your list? I think um, just his future value for me. Um, I think we're really only starting to see what he can do as a pitcher um, because of the things you just mentioned. He really hadn't pitched a lot in college. Last year was the first full year that he pitched full time because um, he played started out as a two-way player uh, in college. And – what we saw last year was he just dominated at Myrtle beach. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Um, and then it, he came to South Bend and um, he pitched really well, had a, some struggles, a couple of games, uh, but he was in Tennessee the last third of the year. And he really put some starts together where he was just flat out dominant. And then he picked it up in the playoffs and we really haven't seen a pitching prospect <laughs> um, like him since, um, uh, number 22 back in 2003. So, I mean, his future value as a guy at the top of the rotation, uh, I think for me, got him a little bit higher than Pete, but not much. Um, Pete is a great player, and Pete's going to be an everyday center fielder for somebody, hopefully the Cubs. Um, but Pete has his limitations, and I don't think we know what Cade Horton's uh, ceiling is going to be just yet. I mean, he's, he's got three great pitches. Um, I don't know if there's a fourth one in his repertoire or a tweak on a, 
on one he already has, but I think we're just going to start to see uh, what he can really do as a pitcher because, to be honest, the Cubs were still limiting his innings through uh, May and June last year before they they let him go in July and August and September. So um, he really hasn't pitched more than 80, 85 um, throws in a game yet. I mean, maybe 90 a couple of times, but um, – we're just starting to see what he can do. And I think that is to me is what is most exciting about um, him as the, as the Cubs top prospect. And you talked about limits to PCA's game. What do you think those limits are? Um, I think his, his aggressive nature at the plate is what makes him. And you don't want to tamper that really. I think you don't want to like keep Pete down, but he's not going to be a guy who's going to hit 320, 330. He's going to go in the 280s, maybe 260 to 280, um, but he's really developing some power. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see him hit in two or three years, 25 home runs in the majors, steal you 40 bases, uh, get a gold glove in center fielder. I mean, that's a good problem to have, is to have <laughs> a rotation pitcher and then that guy backing him up in center field. So PC is not your, uh, not your father's leadoff man, right? Like I, I think that a lot of people have that in mind where they're like, Oh, like he's like the, 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 the speedy center fielder contact oriented leadoff batter that like from 20, 30, 40 years ago, like that's not, that, that's not what PCA is, you know, he's going to jump yeah, on that and, early and so, mistake. Yeah. You know, the thing I saw when I saw PCA playing with the Cubs that I think really kind of, you know, when you see him playing and, you know, I saw him in South Bend play before. And the thing that blew my mind is I think sometimes the guys on the team, Ian Happ and Saya were shocked that he was on so many plays, like right behind him, like how quick he comes to the ball. Do you, I mean, it's probably going to take some time for people to get used to it. And I mean, if I'm say, I just put my hands up and say, go get him kid, you know? Yeah. He, um, he, when I was at South, saw him with South Bend in 2022, he'd be out in the outfield shagging BP every day, catching balls behind his head. I mean, it's like he would try it every time and make it look like it was nothing. And so for him to um, go up to the majors and sh flash that defensive thing is unreal because I don't think I've ever seen anybody be able to judge the arc of a ball and its trajectory better than him. And there's just nobody. Now, Rich, on your list at six and seven, you have Jordan Wicks at six and Ben Brown at seven. Wicks got, got a little cup of coffee at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. he did, it looked like he did well. And Ben Brown was probably the guy that was going to get that spot if he probably didn't, if he didn't get injured. What do you see with those two guys as far as which one would you anticipate maybe, you know, having a start first between the two of those guys? Um, I think right now, if I had to guess, I'd probably go Jordan um, just because he's got a little bit more of the experience up there. Um, I think one of the things I love about Jordan is the word bulldog is what automatically comes to mind with him. Um, you know, his, his first start was such a great example where, you know, he gave up, gave up a couple runs. And then um, Tommy Hanavy came out, talked to him, boom, he shut it down from there. Um, and that's just, it's fun. He's a fun guy to talk to because, you know, off the field, great guy. When he's on that mound, um, he kind of reminds me a little of the John Lester kind of thing where you're not going to beat him. Um, 
he's just so focused and he's going to get there. Um, I think Ben is probably a little bit more laid back with his, but um, he's got tremendous talent. Um, as you said, I think he probably he probably was on track to get called up if he didn't have some some injury issues, and then that kind of kind of set him back in. I think it was in August, um, July or August that time frame. But um, again, I think that's a great problem to have with those two guys. Plus, um, I think he's he's not considered really a prospect anymore. But with Javier Assad, it's it's great kind of seeing now more and more pitchers um, that are going to be able to come up and make an impact on the staff. Now, Greg, you know, when we talk about we don't want to trade any guys, I mean, you have two corner outfielders that potentially, you know, you know, they're there for the next couple of years. And to me, it seems like a lot of these guys are going to be knocking on the door. You're going to have to worry about rule five, you know, coming real soon. And so when you think about this, you got Alexander Canario. We talked about Kevin Alcantara. Um, you know, Owen Casey, all of these guys. I mean, it's kind of like, it's a good problem to have, but as far as, as outfielders, I mean, you know, Canario, I was just so impressed, but we, I think we were frustrated that he didn't get a chance to really show what he had very similar to Nelson Velasquez. You know what I mean? It's like, for some reason they decided to put Patrick wisdom in right field and miles Mastroboni in right field. And we're like, well, what about that Nelson Velasquez kids? He's ripping up triple a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what, I guess, do you see Canario potentially getting more starts? And do you see Craig Council being a manager that would maybe roll the dice a little bit more with young guys more than David Ross? Uh, yeah, I think that I, I trust Council to find a way to to ease those guys into the into the lineup a little bit better. Um, honestly, I, like specifically about Canario, like I, I'd love to see the Cubs, I mean – assuming they don't go out and get Bellinger or get somebody to, to permanently like to, to fill that center field role. I'd love for, for Canario and Mike Talkman to kind of do a pl- platoon type of deal in center field to start off the year. I think that Canario is not a, a center fielder long-term, but can he go out there and platoon with Talkman right now in center field? Yeah, I think you, you could do that. Um, I, overall, I, I think that it is so tough, so tough for managers for guys in the front office and for players to figure out how to jump from AAA to the major leagues, get the right amount of playing time, plus continue to develop, plus continue to get wins at the major league level. Like that, that balance, like that is not something like I am not envious of anybody who makes those decisions. I'm not envious of the players that have to deal with that situation. Like that's just so tough. Um, I, I, I'll push back a little bit on anybody that's like, we need to start trading guys now for sure. Like if, if we're trading Alcantara or Owen Casey or whoever for major league talent, because like that's what makes a major league team better right now. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, but I don't think they should trade them just because, Oh, there's too many of them right now. Like that's, I, I don't really care that Ian Happ and say Suzuki and there's PCA and Canario and, and Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara. I, I don't, I don't care about that right now. Like it, it's, it's, you deal with that once it becomes an actual issue and right now, that's not that's not an actual issue. You know what I mean? So, like, um, yeah, do I expect all, what, six, that six, seven guys to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be in the lineup on a daily basis? You can't possibly have that. But, again, that's not that's not an issue right, right this very second. And, Rich, I'm looking at Matt and Hannah Triolo. They're agreeing with you. Uh, I think John Lackey kind of personality, I think, is what they meant on that one as far as the bulldog. <laughs> 
is concerned. But um, Todd, I got to ask you, you know, the name that everybody was talking about this time last year was Matt Mervis. Mm-hmm. And all, you know, he's kind of all of a sudden not really being talked about a lot. Uh, what what are the concerns with Matt Mervis? And, and do you see him getting another crack at first base spring training? Um, I, yeah, I think he's going to play quite a bit in spring training. Um, and that's going to determine a little bit. But what's really going to help him is some fresh eyes from council. Um, I think um, it's great that we brought in somebody that's not been in the organization to look at some of these prospects and go, that guy right there, that's the one I want. I want that guy. I want to try Canario uh, out in center, or I want to try uh, Matt Mervis at DH. Um, so he's going to bring some fresh eyes to look at the talent and evaluate it. Um, but I think Mervis um, did do well when he went back down. Um, we've got a post coming out. I think it's next week on first baseman, and he's still the top guy uh, in the system, although Hayden McGeary's kind of closing the gap there. But um, he went back to Iowa, held his head up, uh, worked hard, uh, hit really well, and, you know, in just a limited amount of time, he still had almost 80 RBIs and just a little over 300 at-bats um, at Iowa. So um, the potential is still there. Um, he's... 20, I think he's 25 now. So he's still kind of young, but um, I think if somebody gives him the opportunity and like some guys, it's, it's hard to overcome a bad start and that becomes kind of the narrative and it's hard to, to get rid of that. So hopefully if he gets another chance, he can get off the schneid early and get to it. Now, Rich, you know, one of our favorite guys that came up here to Club 400 for the Christmas party last year, you know, again, it's so crazy when you think about it. Braylon Marquez is now with Houston, Mm -hmm. so that's gone. And Brendan Davis was one of the top guys, Mm -hmm. and injuries have absolutely kind of stumbled his, you know, with the start of his career. But then you take a look at Miguel Amaya and saw what he got to do this year with the Cubs. And, you know, I know Greg was talking about six outfielders we were talking about, but nobody mentioned Brennan. You know, it's obviously, you know, you you have the Amaya story of him being successful in overcoming injuries to get to the majors. And we have the Braylon Marquez where it didn't work Mm -hmm. out. Go try it somewhere else, kid. How how important is this year going to be for Brennan Davis? I think this is huge. I think think it's kind of a make or break year for Brennan. but I think the thing is, Brennan's another one. Great work ethic. Um, you know, it, it's it's easy to forget that what, what was it two years ago? He was the uh, Futures Game MVP, um, and he's still he's still fairly young because he was a high school draft pick. And um, you know, I'm 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 hoping for him. You know, it's a, I think I didn't rank him this year just because you know he hasn't been able to be on the field. But you know, that talent is still there. If he can get past the health issues, I mean. As somebody who's had some back problems before, man, that impacts everything you do on the field. You know, try and try and take a swing with a bad back, and you're gonna you're gonna feel, you know, stabbing pain. It's it's kind of hard to hang in there on a a three two curveball on the outside corner. So, um, I'm I'm hopeful for Brennan because, like I say, he's a, he's a great guy, um, and you met him at Club 400, so I think I'm sure you can attest to that as well. So I, I'm I'm really hoping for him. 
Now, Greg, you know, I was a little nervous. I'm going to tell you why. Because they fired David Ross right after they announced that John May Lee was coming back to the staff. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I was so excited for John. Again, another good friend of Club 400 that we know very well. And, you know, I just somebody that I've gotten to see over the years, he would run a baseball clinic up here and for hitting and have hitting coaches and talk to them. And I was just a fly on the wall to those conversations. But just the way that John teaches, not just players, but other coaches that are maybe – you know, younger in the ranks. I, I'm so excited that John is going to be with the big league club this year. And the fact that he got to work with a lot of these guys in AAA, it's going to give them a familiar face, a friendly face, somebody they work with. How big of a difference do you think that's going to be for some of these guys like Alexander Canario, like PCA? Yeah, I think it might ease that transition a little bit into the major league level, which is awesome. And I, I know that that he made a, a huge impact working with the the AAA Iowa hitters last year. Uh, those guys seemed to love working with him. The offense was tremendous last year for <laughs> Iowa. I mean, like if if you recall, like the first I don't know what two months of the year, the offense was like something I've never seen before. Like they were put, they were consistently putting up double digit runs uh, down there in Iowa. And uh, yeah, so he did wonders with that team in AAA. I don't doubt for a second that he'll have a, a big impact on the players that are currently in Chicago and the guys that are going to be jumping up there, um, whether it's, it's PCA or Canario or Matt Mervis or, or anybody, you know, I think that he he'll have a big impact on anybody up there. Now, Matt and Hannah Triallo have another question for you here. Does a dark horse like Luis Vasquez surprise the front office in spring training? What do you guys want to take that one? I'll kick it to Todd for that one. He had the highest rank, right? You were, you had Vasquez at 11. Yeah, um, he's defensively he's ready. Um, my only thought is, are they going to try him at third? Because um, that's really the only place they could play him, considering you have two gold glovers in the middle of the diamond. Um, he's been a fun watch. I mean, as early as Arizona and Eugene, the great Eugene Emeralds, he's always flashed a glove, and he just dominates out there. I mean. He is on the prowl for every baseball that he can get to, and he just it, it's so effortless to watch him play defense. Um, out of all the prospects in the Cub system, he could easily uh, transition to third, um, but is his bat going to play? And can the Cubs afford to develop his bat at the major league level uh, just to have his premium defense? And that's really what they need to uh, figure out in the next four months. I, no, I mentioned, we have another, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, I was going to say about about Vasquez. I, I mentioned I went on on live on Northside Bound on um, on what Sunday night and uh, or Monday night. And with Vasquez, if you're playing him at third base because of that defense is so good, that's fine. But like third base is often one of those positions where you're getting a lot of offensive value. It's third base. It's first base. It's the corner infield, the corner outfield. And so like if you're not getting and you and you won't like if you're playing Vasquez at third base this year he's not going to provide plus offensive value for you at third base. And so if you're losing that at third base, you have to pick it up at a position where you don't typically get that really good offensive production. So if you're not getting at third base, then Nico has to absolutely go off or you have to get a center fielder that is, is a 125 WRC plus type guy. You know what I mean? So you have, you have to trade off that offensive value somewhere else if you have Luis Vasquez and his great glove, his great defensive glove at, at third base, but you're just not getting offensive value there. All right. We got another question here. This is from S.E. Brockhouse. Do you guys still think Al's like it's another opportunity as closer 
or the Cubs grab someone with some years as closer, maybe, maybe like a Josh Hader, but you know, thinking about prospects, is there anyone in in the system that you say, this guy's got a closer mentality, Rich, when you, when you kind of look at the, some of these guys. Um, someone who, who kind of comes to mind, but he, he had some injuries last year, but I'm, I'm a big Zach Lee guy. Um, he, he played down in Tennessee, uh, but he got a late start. Um, like I say, I can't remember if it was, if it was shoulder. I think it was, I believe it was shoulder, but I'm not positive on that. But um, he's he's kind of one of those guys who he has a short memory and comes in and just deals. Um, <laughs> and another one who, but he's further away and um, he's probably much more of a question mark because of the injuries. But man, Ben Leeper, I love that guy. Um, had had to have his third Tommy John, but oh, you know before God. that, yeah. Um, he, but he's a guy I would not bet against. Um, he's, I think he's about a month ahead of schedule. I talked to him a few weeks mm-hmm. ago and based on his stuff. Um, so, I mean, he's got a long road. Um, would be probably late this year, if at all. But, man, um, he's, he's got the mentality for it. Now, you know, a question I have, and I, I saw this kid in, in, South, in, in Myrtle Beach when I went there, you know, and all of a sudden it's just boom, boom, pop, pop, pop of the mitt was Michael Arias. And I was like, who is this kid? And to me, I don't know if he's going to be able, you know, to be a starter, you never know. But boy, I just said to myself, that that looks like it's got closer all over it. Todd, you're kind of nodding your head a little bit. Oh. What do you think about Michael Arias? Um, well, I, I'd only seen him on, on video, like when you saw him at Myrtle Beach. And I was at, uh, he debuted in South Bend in Beloit. And um, I was in the dugout the first couple innings taking pictures. And everybody was on the front rail just watching him because he was, I mean, it's just vicious. I mean, if you sit behind the plate and watch his pitches move and the swings he gets for the first couple innings, it's great. I mean, the big concern with him is he's not very big. Um, He's maybe 165, 70 pounds, soaking wet. So if he can add 10, 15 pounds of muscle, get up to 180, 185, um, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be enough to be a starter, but I think in terms of pure stuff, he's right there at the top of the system. Um, and I kind of think long-term or now that he's on the 40 man, maybe we just, let's put him in the pen, get him through the system, get him to Chicago. Let's bring him out of the pen. And if we need to develop him as a starter down the road, we can do that. But that, that arm, I tell you what, that slider is just freaking mm-hmm. nasty. Just like nice. I said, there's something, something about the pop of the mint. I was right behind yeah. home plate and I was just like, yeah. Oh, I wasn't expecting that at all. And, yeah. and the other guy that I, that was, that was receiving him that impressed me was Moises Ballesteros just oh, yeah. for his age. You know, he just seemed to just command everything. Like he just was, you just knew he, he just looked like the captain on the field out there. It was so impressive. Um, we have a question here, Greg, if you want to tackle this one from Tom Cooper about how far away would you say Owen Casey is from making the bigs? Um, I always say that that once a 40-man a rostered guy or a top prospect, which Owen's a, a, a top prospect, makes their way to Tennessee, then they're just a call away at that point. That's what I, what I always like to say. And obviously he spent his entire year and last year in Tennessee. Owen will spend um, – He'll start off the year surely in in Iowa to start off 2024, and so he's he's a hot stretch away. Um, I've I've still kind of got like internally. I'm thinking of Owen Casey being a, a 
early season 2025 guy. Like, let's let him ride it out in, in Iowa in 2024, see what he can do. Um, and then and start off the 2025 campaign as as your starting right fielder or your starting DH or whatever you want wherever you want to put them, uh, but have them in Chicago at that point. Um, I but like I said with the caveat that like once it, when you're in AAA and a top prospect like you really are just a hot stretch away. Now here's here's one that I, I want to kind of ask each of you, and I'm going to take these guys off the table. I'm going to take PCA, I'm going to take uh, Owen Casey, and I'm going to take Cade Horton off the table. I know nobody's untradeable for the right deal, but if there is one guy you said, I just really do not want to see the Cubs part with this person. Todd, mm-hmm. who do you got for that one? Oh, that's a tough call. I mean, I'm ideally right now you look at, at Matt Shaw, um, but you also kind of got to look at some of the young guys the Cubs have, uh, like Jackson Ferris, I think for me. Um, we really haven't had a guy like this, a big prep left-handed pitcher who um, other teams covet. I mean, if you have left-handed pitching, um, you got a lot. <laughs> I know it sounds strange and, and simple, but it really is. I mean, he and Drew Gray are going to be something else at high A this year, but they're just beginning to develop. They're just beginning to um, have the chains taken off of them as far as pitch counts and innings limits. Um, but Either one of those two guys, I think I would I would have a really hard time parting with um, those two prep pitchers right there. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, I I think the easy answer would just be like go down my my prospect list after PCA and Cade. So it'd be Alcantara or Owen Casey or Rojas or Shaw, whatever it might be. Um, but I think that I'll kind of piggyback off what Todd had to say and. I think when you're looking at a guy like Jefferson Rojas and Jackson Ferris, those are guys that I think that that's because they're so young, like you don't know exactly what you have in them yet. And so I think if you're trading them, like with Matt Shaw, even though he was just drafted last year, I think you have a better idea of what Matt Shaw is long-term. The same could be said about Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara, just because they've been around a little bit longer. Like they know, like, you know, the deal with them better with Jefferson Rojas and and Jackson Ferris. Like what, what could these guys be? You know, and it feels like a team that you're trading with would not value them as much as you as as much as the Cubs value them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's the whole point of making trades is that that you want another team to value your your player more than more than you do, because they'll give you more in return. You know, that's how it works. And with with Rojas and Ferris, I don't see how that could possibly be the case, considering how young they are and how little teams have probably scouted him scouted them as pros. Rich, you, you've had the unfair advantage of being able to think about this. What does what, what, what your sage wisdom say? So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out one of the names that, uh, that Todd threw out. I'm a big Drew Gray fan. Um, I got to see Drew make his first start in the ACL a couple of years ago, and I walked away super impressed thinking, thinking he was, a, he was a, a college draftee. And then I found out later he was a high school mm-hmm. draftee. So um, that that told me something. So, of course, then he had to have Tommy John. So he missed most of uh, the 2022 season and then came back last year. But um, I don't know, just again, a big lefty um, who I think I think he, he's one of my guys that I think really might take a huge step forward at 24 is as, uh, as the ropes come off and he's able to go deeper into games, throw more pitches. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about Drew Gray. 
Now I got to tell you something in the off season, when I saw Craig Breslow go to Boston and I yelled, no. And then the next thing I see is Dan Kantrovitz maybe to the Mets. And I'm like, literally freaking out. I mean, <laughs> look, we all want Dan to be successful and, and do whatever his heart wants, man. But I got to tell you, I'm kind of really happy that he's still in the organization to lose a guy of Dan's Absolutely. intellect and, and, and everything that Dan does. I mean, I feel like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the core minor league system may not have as much top tier talent as it did in 2013, 2014, 2015, but what they might not have in top tier boy, do they really have in depth? I mean, you're, you know, and, and, and seeing that group that's been going up together, winning championships, uh, South Bend and, and now Tennessee and God only knows what, ten, what, what AAA is going to look like. I mean, oh, yeah. you want to talk about Des Moines and the city buzzing, that's, <laughs> it's going to be out of control. Greg, how many trips do you plan to, to Iowa, man? I'm going to have to plan some trips to Iowa for sure. Where the, the city is, the city's definitely buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, you, any thoughts on Dan Kantrovitz and, and still being, you know, one of the guys that's going to be helping the Cubs with their, this next draft? Oh, yeah. he's. I, I don't think he's going anywhere this year. Um, I still think uh, he's still finding his way in terms of uh, trying to figure out just exactly how much depth to have at certain positions because right now there's kind of a, a dearth of left-handed pitching beyond the top beyond Drew Gray and Ferris and Wicks and the relievers. Um, but the Cubs have also shown that they can go out and find some minor league guys to fill those holes. Um, but I think he's really shown that he is a true believer in the best guy available on days one and two in rounds one through 10. Um, and he can go get a Zaire Hope in the 11th <laughs> round. I think he's in my top 20. Um, and I think everybody else got him on the list and he's going to be at Myrtle beach, uh, this year. Maybe you can get to see him when you go there and yeah, talk I might to have to make another trip back. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> I mean, to get him this year, I think was a steal to get Will Sanders in the fifth round. I mean, he's, he's going to be like a workhorse as a college pitcher. Um, and so, you know, he made a lot of good picks this off this last year. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to have some nice picks to make because they're going to have four picks in the top 80 this mm -hmm. summer. I can't wow. tell you how confident I am in the Cubs, whether it's Dan Kantrovitz on draft day or the rest of the, of the development staff throughout their time as pros mm -hmm. in drafting and developing college arms. Like right now, mm -hmm. I feel like I feel really confident in their ability to do that, um, mm -hmm. whether it's going out and drafting Jordan Wicks or Cade Horton and get some top into the rotation guy or rotation guys or guys that are just act as depth in the Cubs organization, the Brandon Birdsell, the Connor Noland, um, even the Nick hole and, and guys like that. I just, I, I feel really confident in the players they're targeting in the draft and then how they can turn that into success as a professional. And like, that's why I, I, I've come around to the idea of that, like the, the Jackson Wiggins pick last year and, and, and drafting that college arm. I just, I have a lot of confidence in, in this development staff to do that. I was talking with the broadcaster of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. You know, Sam Wiederhoff just, uh, he just got, um, he was uh, renewed. His contract was renewed. And he told me, I was telling him, I was talking to you guys. And he said, Hey, mentions that your hope for me. So I'm glad you did that, Todd. Uh, one thing I do want to say, and, and I don't know if you guys know, or as frustrated as I am about this, at Cubs convention, it looks like 
they, it looks like they're not going to be doing the prospect session. And for those people that are Cubs con junkies like me, it was always the best on Sunday, the down on the farm session. Mm -hmm. And then last year they moved it to prime time because of all the young talent. And then this year they scrapped it. I just really think it does a disservice because for those young guys, what a chance to be introduced Chicago and what a chance, like I said, on a Sunday, you know, when most people are going home and there's guys like us hanging out and listening (laughs) to them. I think that's, that's a shame that they're losing that Richie, you know, that from talking to these guys, how fun they, how much they enjoyed going to Cubs convention. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, for, for a lot of those guys, it's their first exposure to, you know, crowds of those size. And, you know, I think a lot of them come away shocked that people know who they are. Um, So I didn't. I didn't even realize that that they were scrapping that one. So yeah, that is kind of disappointing. But um, I have a feeling, though. Uh, I have a feeling Rich has a really brilliant thought. He's just frozen right now. So if he comes back, we'll get to his thought. But guys, I just really want to thank you so much for jumping on. I promised Greg I would get him out by seven forty-five, and we're we're a little bit over that. But, you know, Northside Bound is really – you guys have created an environment where people can learn about prospects, and you guys do the hard homework so guys like me can kind of look up there and, and look somewhat smart. Um, you said you had some articles coming out next week. Todd, what were you talking specifically about? Well, um, every Monday uh, this offseason, we break down each position in the system. Uh, so far, we've done um, second base – third base or second base, third base and left-handed relievers. And I think right-handed relievers or first base is next week. Um, and then Greg has the on deck Cubs on deck every Tuesday. And then Wednesday we have some breakout guys. Um, Zumac and I start looking at the draft tomorrow. So that's exciting. And then every Friday we're doing a little um, position group for each affiliate. So this week, it's going to be the Tennessee infield where we talk about who could be playing there. What, what is up with Zumac thinking he can go on a vacation rather than join our call? <laughs> I think, he, I think he should have tried to get on here and rich, you just had a great article come out and, and you know, rich, I love your special interest pieces. Cause I know how the close relationship you have a lot of those guys, but you had 24 prospects share their favorite moment of the 2023 mm-hmm. season. And I thought that was just a great piece to be able to read that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, honestly, that's, I did one similar to that like last year on the Christmas holiday, and it's probably one of the most fun things I do during the year um, because I think there's a lot of things you'd expect, like like a lot of the guys talked about the Tennessee championship or getting in the playoffs or you know or being drafted, but um, there's there's a lot of cool things that you would never expect, like like Max Bain talking about being there to support guys who had been who had who had been injured and you know do it, throwing their first session off the mound. You know, just be a, be a good teammate, um, that kind of thing. So I think yeah. it, it just gives a, a real human flavor to a lot of those guys that, that people don't get to see in the, te- in the telecasts or just, you know, reading Twitter about them. Well, guys, again, I appreciate you jumping on here. Northsidebound.com is where you'll find their great work. Todd Johnson, Greg Hughes, Rich Biesterfeld, and Greg Zumak in abstentia. Um, I hope to see you guys. If you're you're not coming out to CubsCon, Rich, I'm going to definitely see you in Arizona. Absolutely. Todd, I hope to see you on the road somewhere in South Bend and uh, get together and have a beer, boys. All right. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it, Crowley. Thanks, Crowley. Thank you. All right, Crowley, great job with uh, that interview. Uh, I know you want to take a moment to uh, thank the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Before we do that, though, we also want to thank our friends over at the South Bend Cubs and give them a congratulations. They were awarded this year's Bob Friedis Award 
which recognizes long-term business success, community involvement, and operational excellence. They beat out 60 high A and low A teams. So, you know, they've been so good to us. They treated us great, um, whether it's Chris Hagstrom or uh, Max and BK, and all those guys. They've always made us feel welcome whenever we show up to the ballpark. So a big shout out. They just put on such a great production. Nice job. Congratulations, South Bend. And, and, and guys, you know, this podcast is nothing without the listeners. You guys are the ones that have made this a really great year for the Fly the W podcast. We want to take a minute to wish you and yours a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, all the fun things. And hopefully when we come back, we'll have plenty of news to talk about once these holidays are over and the new and we get ready for uh, free agency to really take off. Absolutely, Crowley. I'll echo those uh, sentiments. Thank you for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for reviewing. Uh, look forward to seeing a bunch of you guys out at uh, CubsCon as well. Oh, we got plenty more to go. Go Cubs! It's all over.